Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. Have a nice dinner. Relax. 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 Feeling lucky. And I know usually we start off with a brief recap of where we are in the madness. But honestly, we ourselves kind of needed a break from the news cycle. We got news fatigued. Indeed. Even your dear co-hosts here get that exhaustion set in from time to time. So... Yes, we won't be doing our our news update uh, to kick things off uh, this time around. We are mostly news fatigued, so we're not going to do an extensive deep dive into the events that occurred this week. But we do know that the states are still just sort of starting to reopen the states are all 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 at different places like new york is somewhat starting to reopen california still hasn't um so it's a very state by state basis and as we as we mentioned last time um joe biden is hanging on by a thread he recently had an interview where he said a very out-of-pocket thing he had an interview with Charlemagne the God and basically said like black people all black people should vote for me if you don't vote for me something is wrong with you pretty much and an aide had to cut him off so the Biden chronicles continue uh do you think that was him desperately trying to pander for the african-american vote yes and it was highly cringeworthy watching that back like you know i think he here's the thing for 2020 trump and his campaign they've been targeting uh the black vote actually for quite some time and i think biden you know assumes that a whole race of people with a multitude of identities he has on lockdown which simply isn't true there are black trump voters out there and this is just ammo fuel to convert some folks into Trump's campaign, honestly, no one should feel entitled to any any votes in that comment. And yes, he smiled after it and he apologized for being cavalier, but it was absolutely tone deaf and outrageous and very entitled. Um, one other interesting element to note here, as the shortlist for VP gets whittled down and the vetting process begins. There are lots of talks that Klobuchar, Klobuchar is gaining momentum, so to speak, if you consider it a resource for VP. Um, however, many black activists and you know prominent uh, black uh, folks in Congress are strongly um, encouraging Biden to not go with Klobuchar. So the one-two punch of comments like this and choosing you know a white Midwesterner would potentially be a fatal blow to Biden's campaign in addition to the other, you know, litany of issues. Oh, most definitely. And just to correct myself, his exact words were, you ain't black (laughs) if you're gonna vote for Trump, which is a very problematic. But yeah, I mean, it could go the way you said, or it could go the way we've pondered before. I mean, so many people are salivating for a Clinton-Obama ticket. Like, people are even saying, like, if Obama can't be vice president, which I'm not sure, I think a president actually can run for vice president after having been in term. So, yeah. yeah, but people were saying, like, oh, if he can't, then at least Michelle should. So some people are just like, that's their, what, dream they just want that to happen. I don't know if that's so far-fetched, but um, as you told me, Hillary's podcast is coming out soon, and this might be strategic to make her more likable and 
get the people to relate to her more before she swoops in to save the day once Biden's biggest gaffe finally sends him over the edge and he's either dead or really canceled. I've said before and say it again, I don't think it's cold that hands are going to make it to the month of October. Really, I mean, maybe they'll make it to Halloween, but I think the big <laughs> October surprise is going to be an 11th hour dark horse situation because of Biden's failing health. I I just really don't see him making it to November. And if he does, like I said before, it's going to be a straight up weekend of Bernie situation. So whoever <laughs> chooses a VP, hopefully it's someone like Val Demings or Kamala Harris or Stacey Abrams um, after the most historically diverse late candidates in history. Hopefully it's not another fucking white person on a ticket. Yeah, I agree. But we'll just see. I mean, my little conspiracy heart is still set on the fact that I think this is all being orchestrated, making Biden look particularly bad on purpose. Even though, I mean, he just does on his own, but they could be grooming him and downplaying him because they all have handlers. They all have, like, PR people. And... Yeah, sure, some people can speak um, out of pocket and go off the cue cards like Trump often does, but I mean, this almost seems like sloppy and deliberate so that like the DNC can plant Clinton in at the last minute because they know she would have been destroyed already if she had gone through the primaries. Don't For you sure. There's definitely hijinks afoot, and let's not forget that the DNC's swift, brutal move in March ahead of Super Tuesday was honestly bone-chilling. It wasn't necessarily surprising, but the Bernie Sabotage 2.0 mm-hmm. followed by the in lockstep endorsement by uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar, like, it was honestly a fucking Hail Mary pass. He got that endorsement in South Carolina, and he won South Carolina by a historic margin. And then he got all these endorsements. It all happened within 72 hours, remember that? And it was yeah. truly earth-shattering because he was counted out, let's not forget, in January, February. Biden was on a, basically, uh, to use a baby trite metaphor, on a respirator, pretty much. Like, right! He was about to die. It was truly breathtaking. Yeah, it was DOA. That's that's why it's like it's another psyop, it's another mind fuck because you know they got the people so hopeful like oh more progressives coming out and like a lot of candidates are taking ideas from Bernie or going even further like an Andrew Yang type but yeah it is it's just funny it's like so much happens so fast but yeah that's a great point let's not forget that he wasn't the he wasn't even in like the top third of like people who we thought would make it to the nomination so and you know he's he's a typical establishment democrat he's not progressive he's just follows the playbooks and actually i found out something really interesting about him there's just always so much material and i always say like oh research this yourself or we're gonna do a podcast on this later just because once you open pandora's box you just start to stumble on the craziest things and you do start noticing patterns and you do start noticing the same key players come up so i bet you didn't know that joe biden helped cover up all the CIA's torture and crime and trauma they did through their MK Ultra program. For those who don't know, it's a brainwashing program. The CIA has done this also in other countries too, like for example in Canada and Quebec, they used to take all of these like orphaned kids and basically made them live in a mental hospital and like gave them electroshocks, like basically tortured them so much that their personalities would split up into DID, which means multiple personalities. And they would study what trauma did to the mind and make Manchurian candidates out of these people. And this is all, like a lot of this is now in the public domain, not all of it, but like especially what I'm saying about Canada and Quebec, that is known. So once the MK Ultra torture has broken your mind like that, and it doesn't happen to everyone, some people just 
die from the torture, but if you survive, most people have compartmentalized because your brain literally can't handle the torture, so you have all these other personalities and they can train you to basically hold, be it maybe like an information um, spy, hold top secret government info, and then you won't even know you have it until you reach your destination. Someone says a word that triggers your other personality. You give the info, you get the info back you need, the trigger's off, you're back to a different personality, you don't even know the information, then you go back to the CIA and give it to them. Um, so I know this stuff sounds so, so wild, <laughs> but it does happen. And my point is that Joe Biden was part of the Rockefeller Commission, which helped cover up MKUltra and Bush um, and Cheney were also part of this. I believe Bush Sr. But yes, Cheney was also part of this. So a lot of key players were in this Rockefeller Commission. And basically, they're the ones who were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. The government shut down all these programs. Don't worry. Sure, they did. No, things just went more covert. So that's something to dig into, too. But isn't that another little interesting tidbit about Biden? Very interesting. Super curious about that. And let's be real, this guy has been in the thick of things. In Congress, in the Senate, all up in D.C. for fucking 45 years. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that his hands are in many devious pies. <laughs> devious pies. <laughs> he likes them or devil pies. For a food card, so I might yeah. Need to yeah, maybe not the best time to start a business, but <laughs> I like the ingenuity. Yeah, I like that, though. That's optimistic. You're like, the market will be up soon. <laughs> As we have, like, a doom and gloom podcast, but we're like, yeah, we're starting a business. They're giving out small business loans now, right? End of days, buy one, get one. Yeah, basically. So... I mean, finding that about uh, that out about Biden, I got into this whole rabbit hole about how like the British British royalty and the Vatican and the CIA all do work together and how Nazism didn't even go away. Like Hitler's second book was actually called My New Order. So his book after Mein Kampf was called My New Order. And basically now I'm starting to think Nazism never went away, went underground. A lot of scientists from Germany were recruited on by the CIA under Operation Paperclip. So sometimes I'm starting to think that that's the new world agenda, new world order. And I think people like Biden might be in on it. I mean, probably Trump is too. But I know definitely a career politician and someone who was on the Rockefeller Commission to literally cover up MK Ultra programs to keep the public ignorant of these atrocities. I mean, like I said, just think of the work the CIA and the Canadian government were doing together in Quebec. Like, they were taking advantage of orphans. Orphans who didn't need to be in a mental hospital, they were living in, like, a school slash house, and they made it into a mental asylum and literally just started doing all these experiments. There have been huge class action lawsuits about this. So the truth does come out in pockets, but, yeah, I just summarized really quickly <laughs> how I drew that conclusion but but what do you think about Nazism potentially having never gone away but gone underground given where we find ourselves today I think there's some credence to that certainly and you know one other thing about Biden for folks who are like whoa whoa this is so off the deep end thinking back to not so long ago Biden oversaw the most historic corporate bailout with the Great Recession. He even parades that around right now on his campaign as uh, some sort of crisis management good experience to have um, when there was no ties to working people at all and there was just like a truly breathtaking yeah, corporate right. bailout and it's just the Great Recession. 
it's just another instance of like and that just goes to show you like party lines don't really exist because he's a democrat and he was still on the corporation side because as we know corporations really <laughs> and as we'll get into more in this episode corporations really run the country and the politicians just keep the facade in place and keep the facade of democracy in place because you know they're getting a lot of money from being little bitches for these corporations it's just so ironic how these big banks and like especially republicans so not biden but like all these big corporations it's like oh my god just you just have to work hard to have all this money and be the ceo and this and that and then when a crisis happens it's like, oh no, dear government, we need a bailout now. Poor us. So the it's tune changes. Yeah. So I still think of Romney's line, uh, corporations are people, my friend. I mean, keep <laughs> in mind, we are living in the age of Citizens United, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, well, why don't you explain for our listeners who don't know what it is? Essentially, Citizens United granted personhood and all of the protections and rights that come with that to corporate entities. So essentially, (laughs) talk about the erosion of democracy in terms of uh, campaign finance and so on, it essentially allows for very little oversight and kind of unlimited backdoor donations to public campaigns and and financing. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what did go on, not really in the shadows, kind of in plain sight before Citizens United has now, the volume's been turned up tenfold. Yeah. So where we find ourselves is a fucking kleptocracy, <laughs> oligarchy, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think Almost technocracy. Fucking clear lines from Citizens United to where we find ourselves. Yeah, it is just wild. And just to delve off the deep end a little bit further before we dig into a more meaty topic even we are technically corporations under through our social security numbers and through our birth certificates that's why your name is written in all caps that's a whole nother story some people have different have like gotten out of those contracts and have different passports it's like it's like the difference between being called a citizen and something else I don't know but the wording is very slick but a lot of people have reclaimed their personhood and they call your birth certificate is like your straw straw man and basically when you go to court it's always under that entity and it, it would be a totally different process if you weren't being treated as a corporation, unbeknownst to you. So that is a lot. Um, that's something else to look into. Uh, I know there's a really good resource I like on Instagram called I Am Self Law Master, I think. So look into that. But I think what we were just talking about with corporations running the show and capitalism thriving off the blood of the people, of the working class. Meanwhile, people who are supposed to represent us, people who are supposed to be servants to the public by definition, have been bought out by these corporations. And this is all so beautifully explained in hypernormalization, which we've name dropped a few times here. Um, it's a BBC documentary, and I believe it came out in 2016 but it hits different today doesn't it because we saw it back in 2016 and then we've seen it more recently and yeah does it hit differently for you big time yes i rewatched it actually last night so it's still pretty fresh in my mind it's a long watch it's just under a lord of the rings runtime but it's <laughs> fucking worth every minute uh truly yeah i think it was originally like a docu-series on bbc but on youtube they just have like the whole big chunk got it yeah it definitely is ever relevant for sure yeah and i really think it aptly sums up how we got here basically in 1975 It was a wild time in New York City. It was like a lawless time. People were doing coke on the streets at Studio 54 and things like that. And there was 
a huge financial crisis. We're not going to get into like too many spoilers, so I really say watch it if you want all the details, but there's a lot to cover here, so we'll keep it moving. But um, yeah, there was a huge fiscal crisis in New York City, and basically out of that crisis emerged the idea that corporations or large financial systems could run society and a huge proponent of this of course was like then U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger who we have talked a little bit about but who is another problematic figure. Trump has Kiss Kissinger's ass. But yeah so that's kind of all where it started and then this like never-ending war with the Middle East started. It gets really interesting when they bring up Muammar Gaddafi, I think, because this was during the Reagan administration. So the government had their real reasons to go to the Middle East, but they knew they had to sell a story to the public. Throughout a period of time, they really used Gaddafi as, as a pawn. They vilified him at certain times. They blamed him for certain terrorist attacks. But the interesting thing was that he was playing into it. He became kind of like a character, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And there's one moment where they bring him in. I believe it was the early 90s, if I recall correctly. Talk about perception management, psyop moment. They have him... Gaddafi sitting at a table with other thought leaders and they basically essentially for the purposes of the United States rebranded him a emerging thought leader <laughs> <laughs> but yeah certainly he he definitely played uh played the part for sure yeah and it changed in many different ways mm -hmm. and they tried to blame him to be specific like for the 1985 Rome and Vienna airport attacks which were really caused by Syria, and the U.S. had that intel. They knew it was caused by Syria, but that wasn't fitting the narrative that they wanted to portray. And just to kind of backtrack a little bit, basically sometime in the 1980s, things really changed with the Middle East when the U.S. withdrew its troops from Lebanon because the U.S. secretary at that time George Shultz said, we became paralyzed by the complexity that we faced. They just thought that it would be easy to take down the Middle East, but it was so much more complex that they decided they'd have to sell this new narrative. So then you have all that stuff going on in the Middle East. And then in the 90s, you have the onset of the internet and technology they mainly focus on the U.S. and the U.S. interfering with the Middle East for like dubious reasons, but they also talk about Russia a bit, and I found that really interesting because the same thing was happening in Russia, but kind of at a faster scale. Like their government had also realized the world was getting too complex, and the problems were so complex, and they just started to pretend that there were no problems. And it's kind of similar, I guess, in North, what you hear about North Korea, too. Like, the propaganda just just takes over, and you don't even believe anything anymore. You don't believe in the news. You don't trust it. You don't believe politicians because they have shown you time and time again. They will fuck you over, and you don't even believe in a better future at that point. And I think they were showing um, Russia was like that in the 80s. It was eerie. What did you think of the Russians? Yeah, that part of it was one of the most eerily relevant to current-day America. And it further <laughs> explains Trump's fascination with, with Putin and, and how Russia is run and has been run. There's one interview in particular that really stands out. They're interviewing um, this uh, middle-aged woman. She's uh, doing some cleaning. And the interviewer was asking her about any dreams that she has, or if she could think of a wish, what might that wish be? And she was, she had to ask the interviewer. 
interviewer several times to rephrase the question about his the wish and the dream question. She truly could not comprehend. And essentially what she mustered was, I no longer wish, <laughs> I no longer dream. Um, but that, that part of it was definitely dark. But one big element of the, the Russia piece in hyper-normalization, again, this stuff is like 80s, 90s, that is directly tied to where we are today, was the political operation, the strategy of essentially undermining the premise of reality to sow confusion, to sow discord, so that everyone is off balance. There is no clear reference point. And so people start to essentially unplug, remove themselves from their participation uh, in the political processes, uh, remove themselves from even watching, paying attention to what's going on uh, because their faith in the system or their even understanding of it has been so far removed that folks just try to survive and go about their daily lives as best as they can. Um, of course, that is uh, amplifies authoritarian power significantly, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Trump's whole MO is to just every 12 hours, if not more frequently, to sow confusion, to keep people on edge, to be kind of shocking in this way, to basically dismantle reality like that's where we are now in this post-truth post-politics era literal chaos magic and it, i think you bring up a good point so the notion of this false reality is like two-prong so in a way the governments themselves realize like holy shit the the world in the west is so much more complicated than we can even handle so we need to like simplify our narrative for that but also it's intentional too it's like an act of war it one keeps the people so confused like you said that it's hard to take action or they have learned helplessness because now the corruption is so flagrant and the propaganda is so outstanding that people do retreat into their imagination or tv or virtual cyber world so we're doing our best to explain it without giving up like too too much but we still want to give you a healthy dose of this but one of the best things about this documentary is it really it gives you all of these meaty insights that we had never heard especially us like as americans this is done by bbc like we would not put this on our networks um ever so i'm surprised it hasn't been banned so I'm glad we got to see it. I, I always knew the Middle East wasn't what it seemed uh, because I knew we were there to exploit natural resources like oil and probably other devious things I can't even think of. And that the enemy was always changing, right? Like, it's Al-Qaeda, you know? Then it's like Hezbollah. Then it's like someone else. And he's like, oh, these poor people, like, they need our democracy. And it's like, let's go shove our democracy in their face. And you had, like, a peaceful country suddenly in a never-ending war zone. And kids are getting permanently traumatized. And cities, towns are getting completely decimated all under the guise of democracy, spreading democracy. And that's also... 9-11 played a key in that as well because it gave us the ultimate excuse to triple down on this deception in the Middle East. But like we said, this all sets up the stage for how someone like Trump could get into power. He loves winning, but like we've kind of hinted at before, um, my co-host I think has mentioned it, Trump never really wanted to win this election. Like, he didn't want to actually become president. No, it's so clearly documented from inside the camp on election day and the day after. He did not want to win. He didn't expect to win. Yeah, but it's just, it's just so funny because this movie just sets up his rise so perfectly and they bring him up him in the 90s i know they talk about 
his Atlantic City casinos and how there was this Japanese guy who was making Trump lose millions. He was winning. He was winning, 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 winning. I guess I feel like Trump saying that. But this <laughs> this guy was just like literally making Trump lose, I think, about $10 million. And Trump recruited the help of a card counter. I don't remember his name, but someone who analyzed big data in regards to gambling. They wanted to like rig it against this guy because they couldn't fathom like how he could possibly kept winning. And the data did prove successful and they were able to get the guy in losing and then in debt to the Trump Taj Mahal casino. But before Trump could even get his money from this guy, this guy was back in Japan and he was killed by some gangsters. And so the casino went bankrupt and Trump had to sell a lot of his assets to the bank. And I had never heard that before. Had you? No, I had never heard that. And I did find it deeply satisfying and humorous that a schemer took kind of was these straw that broke the camel's back on Trump, Trump going bankrupt. Yeah, I know. It's hilarious. And yes, for those who might still be under, I don't know, the spell of Trump, his facade of being a successful businessman is so laughable to anyone who really looks at the facts. Like, if you read his books, which are his own propaganda, like Art of the Deal, which was ghostwritten, and his ghostwriter talks so much shit about him, but if you read that, you could be under the spell if you don't look at any of the facts, but the facts are he is not a great businessman, and it's just another example of hyper-normalization and smoke and mirrors and PR, because... A lot of people think he owns way more buildings than he does because his name is on a lot of buildings, but they don't know that he just sells his name to these buildings. He doesn't own the building, so it's like a PR stunt. It's all spin, 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 and it's something that he understands very well, and I think so many folks still somehow take for granted. It's obviously well known how much of a shock his win was in 2016 but I find history repeating itself here in 2020 because again we both my co-hosts and myself consume media across the spectrum we're on uh, reddit we're on twitter <laughs> we're on QAnon we're on Mother Jones, we're on, on TikTok <laughs> wherever San BC San everything <laughs> um, Sean Hannity just kidding <laughs> That's where we trust a lot. <laughs> Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I see history repeating itself in the sense that people are, especially, to say this out loud, like the media establishment taking for granted Trump's savant level ability to spend, to engage with psyop tactics to engage with perception management he's an expert at that and i again i see this failing of it's so tempting to write him off but he is some of the most stable approval numbers in presidential history going back to george washington okay so like he knows what he's doing um in in many respects and that's the thing the whole, with the whole pandemic response, a part of the administration's strategy is to come across as completely inept, when in reality we know that they are deeply inept. However, there is some skill and finesse to this because by portraying themselves as stumbling, bumbling idiots, it actually um, almost gives some benefit of the doubt to him and to his base when, in fact, there's a whole circle of well-connected special interests advising him on exactly what direction to, uh, to head in. Yes, exactly. And we can see that he used these techniques in 2016. So social media and big data played a big rise in his win as well as hypernormalization showed us 
And basically what he did in 2016 was he used language from the Occupy Wall Street movement. So think Bernie supporters like the working man, people who want Medicare. Well, not that, but like people who are your everyday person getting stomped down by the establishment. So he pandered to those type of people, but also to the extreme and racist right wing. So, and also in the documentary, they basically say Trump defeated journalism because fact checking no longer mattered. It was almost irrelevant because he's like Teflon. <laughs> None of these scandals or lies that he was fact-checked on did anything to make a difference. So that was beautifully explained by this documentary and just backpedal a little bit more about the social media things they say. Um, I thought it was interesting when they said something to the effect about like social media algorithms can keep you in tunnel vision because the algorithms only show after a while like show you information that you already agree with so information that like pleases their users and does nothing to challenge their beliefs so i think that explains a lot of the shock in 2016 when so many people on the left were dead certain that victory was for hillary and it was probably because they were caught in these online bubbles thanks to the algorithms, so they couldn't see how much momentum was being gained on the right with all these like Pepe the Frog memes and, <laughs> you know, 4chan threads and whatnot. So that is very interesting. I mean, I never really thought about that with social media. Truly, and, you know, we always give you folks some not homework, but send you in the right direction with some recommendations. Uh, one other one on this very note is called The Great Hack on Netflix. And it unpacks uh, the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal through the lens of uh, a former staffer um, who worked for Cambridge. But they, they do a deep dive into how the algorithm works, which to be honest, I, I didn't really know about, um, but how uh, they basically Cambridge had 5,000 data points on each and every American voter. Can you imagine? Oh like, my five, God. Do I even know 5,000 things about my damn self? Like, and, the, and a lot of them are probably inaccurate, you know, because I've seen like certain things which are like, oh, if you have a Facebook, there's this app that can like predict when you're going to get married or how you're going to die. Um, but it's like only as much real info as you put into these apps because what if you're filling out like nonsense on a lot of these social media apps and then that's the kind of data that's being collected on you it's true it's definitely based on what you feed it while most people feed it the real thing there are some mm -hmm. culture jammers who fuck with the system i will say i looked on my um my facebook information i forget the actual word for it but basically what facebook deems uh what demographics facebook deemed me to fall into and they, they put me in the 60 plus so my, my great he uh, does lives on in facebook's data holy shit that kills me <laughs> For our listeners, he is uh, not 60. He is like half of 60. <laughs> oh my gosh. And just to back up like a little bit, um, for our listeners who don't know, can you tell a little bit about the Cambridge Analytical scandal and how that like played a part in the 2016 elections? Yes, holy shit. There's so much on there. To boil it down simply and succinctly is that... There was this firm in London that worked with essentially campaigns around the world, um, mostly right-wing campaigns. They worked Trump's campaign. They worked on Brexit. Essentially, what they engaged with, they, they had all these amazing results and all this stuff that they paraded around and all the successes they've had with consulting and various campaigns and all this stuff. But essentially what they were doing was mining 
Facebook data. So all these data points without people's permission and holding on to them. Uh, so essentially they could target, you know, for instance, the 60,000 Americans that ultimately decided the 2016 election, the folks in, you know, your Pennsylvanias, your Wisconsin's and so on. Uh, but down to like a, a such a really alarmingly specific level so they would know exactly what kind of nuanced tailored memes to send you what kind of uh custom banners and all this shit to feed into to pump into your news feed on facebook um and one example, just to give folks like a real world example, they also use tactics that have been, you know, used in Russia for decades, where they uh, essentially to sow discord, uh, used all these pirate accounts that seemingly were like Black Lives Matter activists and in rallies and shit like this. That was all <laughs> fake, uh, but they got mm-hmm. people to engage with, and they had they pitted them against. Blue Lives Matter people to have uh, these events go on at the same exact time, but because these people using these highly weaponized algorithms uh, were so in their bubble and being fed, you know, highly custom, highly nuanced, highly strategic information on their feeds, they didn't realize how deep in the hole they were. But to your point, that's why in 2016 it was so shocking because. The bottom line is liberal coastal elites were in a fucking bubble too, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you brought up a point that I wanted to make too about the bots. And, yeah, because they said there was like Russian bots might have interfered, maybe even Chinese. They were rumored to have interfered in that way too. But it can be really hard sometimes to spot a bot. Some are pretty sophisticated and almost look like real accounts. Others are really easy to tell, but think of especially a lot of older folk who are not that tech savvy. I mean, they could definitely fall more for what misinformation a bot is giving out as well. And that's what's so smoke and mirrors about the the internet in general. People are not always who they say they are. People are not always people. Sometimes they're propaganda bots. <laughs> so yeah. it's really real. interesting. And basically the West was destabilized and you can keep up a facade for so long, but the world was already complex and the problems just keep getting more complex. And when you just sweep it under the rug, pretending you're cleaning, soon you have a big lump under your rug and it's all the shit you've been sweeping under there. And that's kind of what happened here. And they talk about, of course, like we said, this was made in 2016, but they talk about Occupy Wall Street, like we mentioned, and Arab Spring. And how both were an attempt to overthrow, have like a leaderless system, kind of like what the internet was imagined to become when it was first conceived. But neither of those movements really turned out well. Like, do you remember when they happened, there was excitement and it did kind of seem like things could change for a minute. Yeah, there was, I believe, what was it, 2012, 2011, 2012, yeah, there was definitely uh, this fever pitch excitement and mobilization that did seem uh, perhaps like it had some staying power, ultimately, it, it did... It did fizzle out, but I will say one thing we didn't have talked about in this podcast is that these movements are, you know, there's a lot of overlap and they do feed into each other. So while Occupy, you know, has not lived on, it did introduce into the national conversation this idea of the 1%, which Bernie you know, leverage, and now it, it is fully in the lexicon, right? Like, everyone knows what that means, and, and, the, and all the baggage related to that. Um, same with the Arab Spring. Like, it definitely had some lasting impact, but um, I'd be really curious to see what populist movement comes out of this mm-hmm. pandemic. I think it's brewing now, for sure. Yeah, and as always, it's just kind of like, well, is the change going to be big enough? 
to be undeniable? Or is it going to be another instance of an Occupy Wall Street or Arab Spring or Hong Kong protests where the powers that be are so powerful and the henchmen working under them are mind-controlled to think if they don't like... Not, I don't mean necessarily literally mind-controlled in this way, but I just mean like, for example, say the people, if FEMA was to take over and the people working for FEMA, the armed people, dragging you out of your house, taking you to a FEMA camp, it's like they've turned on the masses as well. Like they've working for the New World Order agenda or whatever you want to call it. So I just hope that there are enough people, even people in those kind of positions that that say like, you know what, fuck it, this is not right, I've known this is not right for a while. There are always some whistleblowers who pop up, we have seen though, and people who leak info like Snowden and stuff like that, but they are always quickly like either discredited, their reputations ruined, or as we mentioned before, the news cycle is so constantly rapid cycling, you almost feel like you have whiplash, <laughs> and soon the whistleblower's story is just piled under a million other stories, but if enough people come out and unite as whistleblowers, there can be hope, and what we talked about in a previous podcast, our podcast about the astrology of 2020, all of these events have been leading up to now, and what I mean by that is events like Occupy Wall Street. They're just kind of like the precursor for now, where it is undeniable that our system is not working, things are crashing down, and now is the time for change. But we also just wanted to mention that our next episode will be a little bit more back on the track of current events and things going on in the medical field. I'll just leave it at that, but another good instance of the public being fed a totally different narrative to serve the people who can profit off it, because if the people knew how these medical experts were profiting off certain viruses, people wouldn't stand for it. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about that too because I think it's a perfect segue. Do you have any final thoughts on hypernormalization you want to wrap up with? You know, one just one final thought kind of connected to what you were just saying is that, again, I, I certainly don't hope for this or want it at all, but I do think that this is going to ultimately be a bloody summer. Uh, especially late summer. Um, we have, you know, former National Security Advisor Bolton is coming out with his book in June, and that's going to be <sighs> chock full of hmm, interesting tidbits about the Trump administration. Um, but Mitch McConnell has recently said that the next package uh, passed by Congress should not exceed $1 trillion. So we have all these special, powerful, special interests getting, with no oversight, getting trillions of dollars in bailout money, right, uh, under this pandemic. So that's already a fucking mess. It's basically a redo of the Great Recession. Uh, but the bottom line is people are really, we're almost at 40 million unemployed. This is going to continue. And yes, you know, May was the first month uh, for many people that was like could not pay rent. But a lot of these protections against um, getting kicked out of their places. I don't know why I couldn't think of the word. word Evicted. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. We're going to be on the, on the rise here. People are going to be struggling to put food in their table. We're certainly in a recession. The, the Q2 numbers are going to be coming out here in June. Um, I think what's going to be shocking to, to see play out this, this summer is if regular working folks don't get the assistance they need, the funds that they need, if there's not an additional stimulus that actually hits the, the pockets, the wallets, the pocketbooks of regular folks, People will be taking to the streets. People across the political spectrum will be taking to the streets, and there will be a revolution. If people can't put food on their table, and 
you have all these powerful special interests getting all this untold uh, amount of money, there's going to be crisis brewing. Um, but yes, I, again, certainly don't hope that happens, but I, you know, we could be headed for a capital big D depression here. Um, as you know, he, it seems that Trump will be pivoting to touting the economic recovery message. Well, the bottom line is pandemic is hitting Trump country hard. And the, the bottom line is people do vote with their pocketbooks and come the fall, we could be in a very dire situation where there's actual people um, riding on the streets. Um, on the note of hypernormalization, though, um, I just recommend checking it out. It's a long view. It's worth it. Uh, it's a really compelling uh, experience. Uh, but as my co-host said, next time we will pick it back up uh, with current events. Also, we'll be delving more into the, the election, you know, as we're getting into less than 100 days pretty soon here. That will be wow, more, less uh, than 100. more focus. I know. Time is blurring by. It's like speeding up. Oh, speeding up so much that we didn't even mention this. We'll have to talk about it more next time, but how NASA think they discovered a parallel universe. Clearly, we are in the bizarro world <laughs> where things are just all wonky. If you're listening in the other universe, we don't know how we got here, but if you can hear us through the frequencies of these airwaves, please let us know if your shit's better and if we should hop over there. (laughs) Maybe the historic SpaceX launch this coming week will make a wrinkle in time in the atmosphere. Who knows? Yeah. Hit us on our email if you're from the other dimension, shock therapy podcast at yahoo.com obviously <laughs> but yeah from a couple of yahoos it's weird from this bubble and this standpoint uh, where i'm at i it almost feels like a false sense of hope that things are like because the weather's improving it feels like things are getting better maybe things feel different in places like florida where it's always hot but it's super weird here. It almost a lot of people are acting like things are almost back to normal. But yes, we will keep following this and then of course keep following the election as well. So we will catch you guys next time. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye.